Please be seated. The scripture today is from Genesis chapter 22, and it's verses 1 through 10. If you are reading along in the story, it's in chapter 2 on page 19, about the middle of the page. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, one of the interesting things about preaching through the Bible is it makes you wrestle with passages. It makes me wrestle with passages I normally might not. Because to tell you this story, I have to grapple with this passage. And usually if I was going to say, what am I going to preach about on Sunday, I wouldn't pick this, okay? This is hard. This is hard to understand. It's hard to deal with. It's just hard. And so it raises for me the question, which to me is at the heart of Abraham's story, and it's something that we grapple with a lot just as believers and followers of God, and that is, what do you do when you don't understand? Now, There's a lot of times, I think most of the times when God is speaking to us, it's something we can understand. We may not like it. We may may think it's easier to do something else, but we get it, why God is asking us to live this way or to speak up in this manner or to sacrificially give. We get it. What happens on those rare moments when God asks you to do something that you don't understand? That's the heart of Abraham's story. So I wanted to tell you about a time when I had to grapple with something God was asking me to do that I did not understand. And some of you have heard this story before, um, so bear with me. But it goes back to the time when I was 19 years old. And I was sitting in a church in college. It was A&M United Methodist Church. I was sitting in the back on the left Leah's smiling because I'm pointing back to where she is. Leah's in my seat, okay? In this church, that's where I would sit in the back left. And I, I didn't speak out a whole lot. I didn't talk to anybody. Um, there was some cute guys sitting next to me, and I was kind of like, that was awesome, you know? But aside from that, um, it, it was just a normal Sunday. I, I wasn't with a friend or anything. In fact, I never was with a friend. I went to church alone because my friends were not that type of friend. And so I was there on Sunday, and the pastor started talking about calls, about being called to teach Sunday school or being called to serve as a missionary or being called to be a pastor. And I knew in my heart, because this is what God had been telling me for about the past year, 
that I was called to be a pastor. And in the quiet space of my own heart, I had accepted that, and I had told God I would go. But I hadn't told anyone else. And the true reason, and I'm embarrassed to admit it, but the true reason I hadn't told anybody is because I was ashamed by that. And I felt like if I told people that I was going to be a pastor, then what little social life I was managing was going to wither up and die. And I would never, ever have a date again in my life. Because come on, what guy looks at the girl who's like, yeah, I want to be a pastor is like, that's for me. I mean... That, that just doesn't happen. And so I was very quiet about it. I was keeping it to myself. And then the pastor started preaching about being called. And I got this sense like, uh-oh, it's not going to end well today. So I was sitting there and I looked down and then the sermon's over and the pastor says, if anyone is called to do anything, I want you to come up to the front of the church and claim it. This is a Methodist church. Methodists should not do stuff like that to you. I've been a Methodist my whole life, and I've been able to sit in the back row and never have to come to the front of the church. And now, on this day, this Methodist pastor is like, come up and claim it. And I was like, no. Then God pulls out all the stops. Because not only has the pastor preached a sermon that's convicted me, and I know I should go, then we started singing, here I am, Lord. Now, don't get excited. Just because I'm talking about it doesn't mean we're going to sing it, okay? We were singing it that day, and it's beloved to me. And it was part of God's calling me this hymn, and I'm like, this is not fair. Now, one thing that you don't probably know about me, but which is true, my dad was at the first service nodding, is that by nature, I am shy. It's not my nature to come stand up in front of all of you and talk. It's, It's... uncomfortable. So I had never stood up in front of a church to do, do or say anything, and I wasn't going to start that day. But we're singing, here I am, Lord, and God's saying, go. Go walk. And I'm like, no. You know me. You know how you made me. I'm not doing that. I will go be your pastor, but I am not walking up to the front of the church. What does it matter? I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll do what you're asking me. And God says, go. No. Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I will go, but not really. You know, I mean, I'm singing it with my lips and, I, and everything inside of me. This was one of the few times I knew what God wanted. I heard the voice of God clearly and I couldn't do it. And so... God said that one last time, Laura, go. And though most of me stood rooted to the ground, there was this little tiny bit of faith that raised its head and said, think of all God has done for you. Think of all the miracles you've seen in your life, Laura. This is this little faith talking to me. I felt like God was over here, so I'm talking to him like this. And if you can't do what he's saying right now, if you can't do this one thing for God, when you don't understand what's your faith about, I was like, oh, fine. So I pick up my purse, and the guys are like, I'm like, uh, walk up to the front of the church. They had a door in the front. 
It took everything within me to not walk out the door. Because when I got to the front, I realized I was standing there alone. Nobody else had come. Nobody else had left. Here I am was for me alone. And the pastor who's been thinking, this was the worst sermon ever, right? I'm never preaching this again. Now sees me come up shaking and trembling and is like, ha ah, ah. Fruit, right? Fruit has come forth from this sermon. And so he comes up and takes my hand and shakes it and I say, I'm Laura. And maybe, maybe God is calling me to be a pastor. Maybe. And then I start to leave. He's like, no, stay. And he puts his arm around me. He says, stay with me while I give the benediction. So he stands there with his arm around me, lifts the other hand. He's like, go forth in the power of God, blah, blah, blah. Oh, everybody wait. This is Laura, and she is going to be a pastor. And I was like, <gasps> And he says, and I'm not kidding. I think it really was the Spirit of God, but I hated it, okay? He says, everybody come up and shake her hand. And tell her how happy you are for her with this call to be a pastor that God is placing on her life. Okay, amen. And then the whole 500 people come by to shake my hand. Just so they can get a good look at me and warn all of their kids away. Don't date that girl. And I was sitting there like this. Thank you very much. Thank you. Trying not to cry. And talking to God, who again is over here, and saying, why do you hate me? You're laughing, but that was my, I did what you asked, and you have humiliated me beyond anything I expected. It's worse than I thought it would be. Why did you do this to me, God? I'll tell you why God did it to me in a little while. But we have to grapple with this question, the question of what happens when God asks us to do something that is highly costly that we don't understand? Where do we go? Do, do we stay seated? Do we run away? Or can we take his hand and walk up? Abraham has to grapple with this question. Now, the first time God called Abraham He's 75 years old, Abraham and Sarah. She's 65. They have a lovely retirement home. They've, they do. They have a lovely retirement home. They have some great cars. In, the, in that day, it was called donkeys. They had some great donkeys. They were set. It was their dream home, right? They've got all of their family, and they live in Ur, which you have a map of it on the back of your study guide. Ur was it. It's like living in Austin, Right? And God says to them with their retirement homes, hey, there's three things. Leave this place, sacrificing everything you love. Go to the land I will show you and trust me to fill in the details. Leave, sacrificing everything you love. Go to the place I'm going to show you. Trust me. And God says to Abraham, if you do this, not only will you be blessed and you become a mighty nation, but the world will be blessed. Like this is God's redemption plan. What Adam and Eve messed up, God's going to redeem it starting here with Abraham and Sarah. It's like 
It's like if God said to you, leave Austin and go to Mexico. I have a great plan for you. This is scary. And I can imagine Abraham and Sarah being like, what, us? I mean, God, we're too old to have kids. We don't have any already. We've been worshiping all these gods in Ur, and we've never been to Mexico before. I mean, there's a lot of problems with this. And yet when God says, leave, go, and trust me, these two 75- and 65-year-olds pack up the donkey, get as much as they can, bid their retirement home goodbye, and follow God into the great unknown. Now, first of all, what I love about this is we're going to see this throughout the story. God doesn't pick the people everybody else would pick. God doesn't pick the perfect ones. God picks people like you and me. God picks a 75-year-old and 65-year-old that have never had kids and says, you're going to be the parents of a great nation. Because God delights in doing the impossible and because God looks at the heart and he saw their beating hearts, hearts that would stand up and follow him. And they did. Were they perfect? No. Abraham lies. Sarah laughs. Both of them try to And when God's plan delays, both of them try to get it jump-started. So they're working outside of God's plan. But every time they mess up, they step back, and they keep taking those faithful steps following God. Until finally, 25 years after God said, you're going to have a baby, and this family is going to bless the world. 25 years later, two centenarians are new parents. Just picture their wrinkled faces breaking into smiles as they look at their child. (laughs) And they name him Laughter. That was his name, Isaac. In their language means laughter. It's a baby called Laughter. Because God can do the impossible. And when Sarah heard it, she had laughed. And so she names the baby Laughter because she says, now the whole world is going to laugh. The whole world is going to be blessed from this. Now, what I would love to do is I'd love to leave us here. Yay! And I'd love to never have to go to the, to the last call of God, but the first and the last are so much similar that we have to look at them together. So again, God calls. Abraham says, here I am. And God says, leave And sacrifice what you most love, which is now this child I've given you. Go to the place that I will show you and trust me to fill in the details. Leave, go, trust. Now the girl who had a hard time walking up to the front of the church still has a really hard time with this scripture. Why would God ask this? This goes against everything we know of God, everything we know of the promises of God, the goodwill of God. If I had been sitting there, God help me, it would have been really hard. I don't think I could have done what Abraham did, which is why he's the father of our faith. Because somehow he's able to hear the call of God, and even though he doesn't understand it any better than you and me, to start going and following, and trusting God to show him the way as he goes. See, you never learn why it is God wants you to do something if you just stand there and wait. You only learn if you go. 
and find out. Now, there's a couple of encouraging things from Abraham's life. The first thing is that I think we can do is we can take small steps of faith. See, Abraham had probably known God, what, 30, 35 years at least by this point? So it wasn't like God started out saying, hey, go sacrifice your son. God just said, just said leave your retirement home, just that. But once you've left the retirement home and you've been in battle and you've talked with God and you've laughed and then seen the impossible happen, once you've had that relationship with God over 30 years, you're used to God supplying when you start walking. So I think that was part of it. But I think the greater part of it is that Abraham in this passage remembers something that all of us in our shock at reading it forget. And that is Abraham remembers who God is. Who that person asking him to go is. That God is good. That his will is good. And that even though Abraham can't understand how this piece of the journey is good, he knows God is. He knows God will never fail him. And so if you look at this story He has that faith even as he's walking. He goes on this journey. It's awful. He doesn't understand. But when he sees the mountain in the distance, he says to the servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. So despite what God's asking him to do, Abraham says, God is going to make a way that both of us are coming back. That we're both coming back. Then Isaac speaks up as he's walking with his father towards the mountain. And he says, he's old enough, see, to understand this, to carry the wood. And he says, Father, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham says, listen to his answer. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Do you see what he's expecting God to do? He's expecting God to show up in some impossible, miraculous way. The the writer of Hebrews says Abraham was expecting God, even if Isaac had to die, to be able to bring him back from the dead, to resurrect him. He's not being fake when he says we're both coming back, and he's not being fake when he says to his beloved son, God is going to make a way. He's having faith. He's believing the goodness of God. That even when he doesn't understand it, I don't understand it, God has a reason for this, and he'll make a way for me. So come with me back to the front of the church. When I was saying, what are you doing to me? God. Well, it just so happened that that day, helping out with worship was the campus minister of the Wesley Foundation. And he came up after everyone had shaken my hand, and he was the last one, and he said, hi, I'm Max, and I'm the campus minister at the Wesley Foundation. Could I take you to lunch, my treat? I was like, okay. And without my knowing, he invited some college students who were called to ministry. They're still my friends. And they started talking to me, and they were so normal and so fun 
and they were so kind, and they obviously still wanted to be my friend, even though I had this embarrassing call of God on my life, that it felt different. And they said, why don't you come back and worship with us? It's just college students. We'll save you a seat tonight. Now, I've been at school half a year, and I have been hanging out with interesting people, um, but not church people. And they said, we'll save you a seat. And so I went, and I screwed up all of my courage, shy that I am, but I knew they had a seat. And um, I really, honestly don't know where I would be today if that one day at the church when God said, walk up to the front and do this, I had stayed put. I would not be here. I don't know where I'd be. This one small thing that I thought, it doesn't matter. God knew it mattered. And remember how my, my key concern was I'd never have another date again in my life? Guess where I met my husband? I met him at that campus ministry. And he is crazy enough to want to date a girl called to ministry and marry her and follow me around when the bishop, you know, says, go to Bee Creek, we're in. And I, I really cannot imagine where I would be if I had been too afraid, or if I had let my lack of understanding stop me. So why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because that moment is coming for you. There, there's going to come a time when you don't get it. When everything inside of you wants to go the opposite direction, but God is calling you forward, and you either have to run away or you have to trust him that he wants the best for your life, even when it looks like the worst. Because those moments will change your life. They'll change your life. And after this moment with Abraham, God says to him, Now I know that you love me, and now the whole earth will be blessed through this child. So not only is blessing tipped into Abraham's life and into Isaac's life, but now blessing is tipped to all of us. And what I know to be true is not only when you reach those moments and you take that step in faith and just wait for God to supply the road beneath it, will you be blessed? But so will the world. And it may only be when you look back that you get it. It's often like that. But have the courage. Have the courage to step out. To trust God. Because he's good. And he only asks what's the best for you. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would give each of us the courage on those days when you're asking something that we don't want to give or that we don't understand to step out in faith and follow you. We know, we know God, that you love us and you want the best for us. And we know that you want to bless the world through us. So may, may you find in us ready hearts and faithful people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.